Welcome to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. Thank you, Tim. <clears throat> wow. <laughs> How do I follow that? I don't know. There we go. But thank you. And I really do want to say thank you to the guys who uh, stepped in at very short notice. I should have shared this last week and um, I just wasn't well enough. I'm much better now, still not brilliant, but much better than I was. But um, thank you for those that have contacted and prayed. I really do appreciate it. But it, it really is a joy and a privilege just <clears throat> to be able to share uh, something from what I believe the Lord has spoken to me about it. This is quite personal, some of this, and um, I'm just praying that uh, it'll become personal for you too, and that uh, together, together as the family of God, we can grow in the grace and knowledge of God. You know, David, um, King David, was one of the great men of the Bible. And his life story, I'm sure many, many of you have, have read it time and time again, but it is incredibly impressive uh, what that man did with his life. As a young man, he was a shepherd and he was a good one. He was selfless in protecting and caring for his sheep, especially against lions and bears. He was a poet. Many of the Psalms that we read uh, were written by David and they have inspired millions of people throughout the generation. He was a, a giant killer of Goliath fame and he was a very, very successful soldier and he was highly respected uh, as a leader of his men. He was a wise and able king. He ruled his people with fairness and justice he was an ancestor of Jesus. God promised that through David, the Messiah would be born. And these words are amazing. It was said of him, he was a man after God's own heart. He was known and loved by God. Now I'm sure most of us would love just one of those um, achievements on our CVs. But there's just a list of some of the achievements that David made in his life. And yet, that's not the whole story of David's life. There was another side to his life, a darker side. And um, the Bible tells us that this side included betrayal, lying, adultery, and even murder. The Bible's never afraid of exposing the whole truth about a person's life. The good and the bad. I believe one of the reasons the Bible does this is to show that no matter who we are, no matter what we may have achieved or not achieved, no matter what our background is, whatever our life consists of, the Bible tells us that we are all fundamentally the same. Now, I'm not saying that we've all committed the sins that David has committed. But what I am saying is this, that being human like David, born in sin like David, we all have two sides of our personality. 
We have the ability to do good and we have the ability to do wrong, to do evil. Even Paul in the New Testament writes of a very similar thing in his own life. He wrote to the Roman church and he simply said this, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do not do, sorry, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who does it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Paul here was confessing the very same thing as David did, that there is two sides to each and every one of our lives. And I just felt in my heart as I was preparing this and sharing with you today that we all need to accept, we all need to recognise that this side of eternity we will consistently do good and do evil. Do good and do evil every day of our lives. Now, I know that's a strong statement to make, but as we unwrap this, I think you will agree with me. I know it's in my life, and I'm convinced that it's in every one of our lives. Through one of the darkest times in David's life, he learned valuable, life-changing lessons about himself, about life, and about God. He wrote about some of these lessons in Psalm 32, and I want to read this psalm to you. I'm using the NIV. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave me the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him, for you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle so they will come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all of you who are upright in heart. David actually wrote this psalm after he'd committed adultery with Bathsheba. Then, in trying to cover up his sin, he committed murder by having Bathsheba's husband Uriah killed. I just want to have a look 
this morning briefly at some of the lessons that David learned and see how those lessons in his life are still applicable to you and to me today. The first lesson is found in verses 1 and 2 and twice David uses a word and he says, blessed, blessed is the man. The Amplified Bible translates that happy, fortunate to be envied. That is the man who is blessed, happy, fortunate and to be envied. David goes on to say that this state of happiness comes when we recognise that our sin is forgiven, that it's covered and that God does not count it against us. In the NIV's rendering of this psalm, it uses two words to describe this sin. It uses the word transgression, which means the breaking of God's law through word and deed. And it uses the word sin itself, which is to fall short and to miss the mark. Now I know in my heart and life, I break God's law in some of the words that I say and in some of the things that I do. And I certainly know I miss God's mark. I fall short. And I'm sure that if you're honest with yourself, that you can say, yeah, I'm there too. All sin without fail carries with it consequences. Sin spoils lives. It binds and restricts. It makes us prisoners to that sin. And sin separates us from God. No wonder David could say at the beginning of this psalm, happy to be envied is the person whose sin is forgiven. What a wonderful state to know that your sin is forgiven. The older I get, the more I'm realising I don't fully appreciate what the death of Jesus Christ has won for me. I live my life, I carry on doing the things that I do and very often it's a long time before I suddenly recognise and suddenly realise what forgiveness of sin really, really means. We celebrate Easter next week and we're celebrating the greatest victory that this world has ever seen I'm very much into history and I love uh, looking at history especially of of England of the United Kingdom and some great victories have been won over the years but there has been never ever a victory that this world has ever seen like the victory of Jesus on the cross that victory defeated the enemy. It took away the power of sin to harm us and condemn us. It brought forgiveness for all of our sin. It opened the door for a personal relationship with God. It gives us power to live a better life. It provides peace in difficult circumstances and hope for the future. This victory pours out an amazing love and grace that can change the hardest heart. And it's a victory that guarantees 
our eternal destiny. And that's just some of the benefits that you and I can receive through this glorious victory of Jesus Christ. In Psalm 32, David is saying in effect, all this and much, much more is possible when we receive the forgiveness of God. This results in a happiness to be envied. I have to ask myself the question, do I live a life when other people look at it, oh, I envy that guy. The happiness that he has, it's beyond telling. Do I live my life like that? Sadly, no, I don't much of the time. But I just wonder sometimes whether that's not because I fully understand what it has cost Jesus to die for me and the benefits of that sacrifice in my life. I would suggest that true happiness, we need to dwell more and more on the amazing forgiveness of God. God has done an amazing thing through Jesus Christ. We have found forgiveness for sin. As I was preparing this, I just felt I needed to ask myself the question and maybe I need to ask you to think about this too. Where do we go to find happiness? I'm sure we can find a level of happiness in all sorts of different things. Maybe in a relationship, you found true happiness there. Maybe it's a particular place, somewhere you like to go, or a hobby, or a possession. There are so many different places to find a sense of happiness. We've recently been on holiday and um, the hotel that we stayed in, they had different uh, live events every evening and uh, every morning they'd put up a, a poster um, dis, um, telling you what that event would be on that particular night. One morning, got up and noticed that the poster says, be happy. Bingo time tonight. Now, for some, a game of bingo may bring a sense of happiness. But I'd suggest that all of these things mentioned only bring a temporary sense of happiness. David said and David found that only real happiness can be found in the forgiveness of sin. So I have to ask myself, and I'm asking you the same question today, how happy are you? What's your life like? Yes, I'm sure some will say, yeah, I found happiness here and I found happiness there. But what is true happiness for you? Is it because you have received the forgiveness of God? Is it because you know that you are forgiven your sin? And that in itself has brought you happiness. In verses three and four of this psalm, David goes on to emphasize that the opposite is true. And he's speaking here from personal experience when he says that when we don't confess our sin, there's a heaviness in our hearts that makes it tough and hard going. David said when he kept silent, his bones wasted away. He said that when he kept silent, he was groaning, or another translation talks about moaning and complaining all day. 
That was the result when he didn't confess his sin. This wasn't because of God's punishment on his life. This is the consequences of his action and sin. Here is a description of a man who is finding little joy, little peace and happiness in his life. This was such an important revelation to David, the contrast between being happy and finding life hard going, that he emphasised it again in verse 5. And here he gives us the answer to the problem that maybe we face. And that is simply this, an acknowledgement and a confession of our sin. Those two things are vitally important. But then he doesn't end there because in verse 6 he goes on to say that we need to pray. And I believe this is very, very significant. Because forgiveness just doesn't happen. We can't have the attitude, well, yeah, I've sinned, but uh, it's no problem. Jesus has forgiven me. I'm a Christian. I love God. And so I've sinned, but I'll just carry on with life. Or something that I've heard many, many times and I've said it myself. Well, okay, I can excuse that particular sin because, well, it's the way I am. It's the way I've been made. It's the way I've grown up to believe and to be. There has to come a point in our lives, in every circumstance, where we need to acknowledge, confess and pray for that forgiveness. I believe that there is sin in all of our lives and it's not that God is unwilling to forgive the sin. It's because we don't acknowledge it, confess it and ask for forgiveness. Let me just give you a few examples of what I'm trying to say from my own life that was highlighted on the holiday that we've just been on. The day before we uh, flew, we, we went to Tenerife. It's our first time. Great place if you want to rest and a bit of sun. Um, we flew to Tenerife. But the day before we went, um, I sensed myself as the day was going on becoming more and more tense. And I was just getting really a little bit wound up that we just wouldn't get everything done on time. You know what it's like when you have to get there at the early hours of the morning to catch a, a flight and everything's got to be done the night before. And I found myself uh, trying to uh, get Anne to hurry up with what we needed to do. And so I was uh, dropping innuendos. I was suggesting better and quicker ways that she could do what she was doing. Um, didn't exactly make for a peaceful day, but there we are. <laughs> but then I suddenly realised at the end of the day... What was that all about? It was simple. Or was it simple? It was control and manipulation. I was trying to control the situation. I was trying to manipulate the situation so that I would find a bit of peace on that particular day. At least I recognised it, confessed it, apologised to Anne, and it made for a more peaceful holiday, I must confess. But a simple thing like that, and, you know, I just thought after, I thought, wow, you know, what a day. So tense, simply because I was trying to control and manipulate. What was that? That was sin. And it needed to be confessed. 
The hotel that we stayed in was a, a large hotel. It was a very, very beautiful hotel. And they laid on a, a sumptuous buffet breakfast. Anne and I tend to go to these hotels for bed and breakfast and then we only eat a snack later in the day and that does us. So I make up uh, for the whole day that I'm not going to eat with the breakfast. <coughs> so, and, and this place was such that, to be honest with you, you needed a bus to go from station to station. There were so many places to go and so much stuff to eat. It was lovely. Um, <coughs> But, you know, sometimes I'd be waiting in that queue to, um, you know, get a, an omelette or something. And somebody would just dive in front of the queue. Do you know what it's like? And uh, there they would go. And uh, sometimes I, I'd just think, oh, you know, I'd just sit back and smile and just say, well, not to worry. There's plenty there. Another time, and I remember it clearly... <laughs> I would be standing there saying to myself, how dare you come between me and my breakfast? <laughs> Amen, Stace. You know the feeling well, don't you, mate? <laughs> now, I, I could laugh about it, but what was that? That was resentment. I resented that person. How dare they? Several people waiting behind me. How dare you just come in and get what you want? Very, very simple, very, very funny. But it's absolutely true. It's resentment. It's sin. Also recognised, I mean, I had a brilliant holiday, really. Seriously, I did. <laughs> I also recognised that there was the sin of judgment in my heart. I'd look at someone. I'd judge their character by the state of their fitness, by the way they dressed, by the way they conducted themselves. And I was judging that person on those things alone. How often have I done that and just thought, oh, you know, yeah, fair enough. But that is sin. It's something for which Jesus died. Pride. I'd see what some people were doing and I think, I can do better than that. Many of you know, since I've um, retired, I've taken up a little bit of volunteering at 105. And uh, I absolutely love it. Every uh, Tuesday, it's a joy to work with Beth and the team there. And, um, you know, we've, I've, I've become quite a good, I suppose, at clearing tables and wiping them down and just absolutely pristine for when the next person comes in, sitting in restaurants on holiday and thinking, oh, that's not a very good job, isn't it? Dear, oh dear. Honestly, I can do better than that. <laughs> Stand aside. Let me have a go. Oh, I'm on holiday. <laughs> but what was that? That was, that was a sense of pride in my heart. Wow, you know, hey... I'm doing good here. I'm enjoying my work. I can do it good. And then just the last one I'll share with you is, is just frustration and anger. On the way home um, from the airport, I just got a little bit uptight, to put it mildly, about other people and the way they drove. I'm, I'm not going to talk about my driving, but their driving really wasn't very good at all. And um, I got angry and I got frustrated at times. Now, all of these sins, I'm not saying that any of these are in line with murder and such like, but what I'm saying is this, there is sin in our lives. And I just wonder, as I've looked at my life, and you need to look at your life, how much of that sin is a result of how I'm finding life hard going? How tough I'm finding things? Now, I'm not saying everything in life is due to sin. I'm not saying that. 
But I do believe, as God has just come and ministered to my heart, there is a need for you and me to look at our lives, to stop and think, what am I doing? Why am I feeling like this? Why am I saying this? Why am I doing this? Is this sin for which Jesus has died? Because if it is, there is an answer. We can confess it, acknowledge it, confess it. And we can find the forgiveness of God for all sin. It's so easy to ignore it in our lives. Carry on as if life just didn't, it just didn't matter in our life and wonder why at times we struggle. This was the first lesson that David learned in this great psalm. Happy is the person who asks for forgiveness for their sin and alongside that, the consequences when he doesn't. I've had to take more time of late to look at my own life and say, why is it like it is? And seek God for that happiness through knowledge and confession of sin. The second lesson that David learned from this great psalm is found in verse 7. And David states here that there is a place of safety and security in times of trouble. He says, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. It's clear that David is not saying here that there is a place to hide away from our troubles but there is a place of peace and calm in the midst of the trouble let me read to you something that I wrote in uh, my journal uh, some time ago and I just felt the Lord bring this back to my remembrance for today I wrote this for the believer Peace, peace is not to be found in ease of life. Real peace is only ever found in the presence, the power and the grace of the Saviour, the King, the Lamb and the I Am. That peace is yours even when storms of life take you beyond your natural ability, wisdom and strength. You can live with hope and courage in the middle of what once would have produced discouragement and fear because you know you are never alone. The I am inhabits all situations, all relationships, all locations by his grace. He is in you, he is for you, he is your hope. David displayed a confidence of trust and faith in God. He had no doubt in his heart whatsoever, for he says, you are my hiding place. You will protect me. And I just sensed that in times of trouble, you and I need to de develop a level of faith and trust in those times. And I had to ask myself, how does my faith and trust grow, especially when I'm going through a difficult circumstance? And I've come to understand that one of the keys, key ways is believing in the sovereignty of God. 
God is in control. He knows all things. He's in all things. He's over all things. And there is nothing, and I mean nothing in my life, in the life of those I love, in my world around me, or in the world at large, that God does not know about, care about, and is in control of. God is sovereign. You see, just because I'm not in control doesn't mean the situation I'm in is out of control. Just because I can't see a way forward doesn't mean there isn't one. Just because I don't have or can't see a plan and a purpose in what I'm going through, it doesn't mean that there isn't a plan and a purpose in what is happening. Just because I can't understand and see any good in the situation doesn't mean that God isn't bringing good out of it. Do you want an example of the sovereignty of God? Look at the cross of Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing the death and the resurrection of Jesus is. God was sovereign over it all. You couldn't see it as Jesus lived his life. And yet God was working to his plan, his purpose. He was totally in control of all that was going on. Belief in God's sovereignty doesn't guarantee us a happy and comfortable life. What it does do, it connects us to him in inseparable love and unstoppable grace. Belief in his sovereignty builds our faith and trust in him so that in those times of trouble, you can turn to him and say with absolute confidence, just like David, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble. And this is the second lesson that David learned through a very difficult time in his life. This psalm goes on to say a lot more and we just don't have time to expand it. Just to suffice it to say that in verses eight and nine, God interjects at this point in the psalm and he speaks clearly to David and he says, I will instruct you and I will counsel you and I will watch over you. And I just believe that there is a link between our confession of sin, our trusting in God's sovereignty that opens a door for God to speak directly and clearly into our lives. I don't know whether you're like me, I'm sure you are. You love to hear God speak. And especially when God speaks to you. I just have this feeling in my heart that God would have more of an opportunity to speak if I would confess my sin and if I would trust in his sovereignty and that door would be open for that link, that relationship to grow. 
And then in verse 10 and 11, David ends this psalm by encouraging everyone to worship God for what he's done, for the forgiveness of sin, for a place of safety in times of trouble. We've had a fantastic time of worship this morning just to be able to sing our songs of praise and worship is amazing. But David encourages everybody in the light of what has happened in his life, what he's come to understand, to worship God. And it is a wonderful thing to be able to do that. And I just want to close with one other thought. Three times in this psalm, and I deliberately read these words, the word selah is used. Now, it's actually uncertain, actually uncertain to its authenticity uh, as to what exactly, sorry, what exactly the meaning of this word is. Most scholars believe it's a musical term, which means to pause. But I love the meaning of uh, what the Amplified Bible brings out for that word. It simply says, pause and calmly think on this. And it happens three times in that psalm. In closing today, I would simply encourage you and continue to encourage myself to read this psalm and to pause and to think on what we're reading and ask God, what is it, Lord, that you're saying to me? We've been given a life to live. A life to live with Jesus that can be full of happiness. Yes, not without its difficult times. But in those difficult times, there is a place, there is a hiding place. There is a place where we can go, where God can be there. And we can find the peace in that place of difficult times. But for us to find true happiness, for you and me to find true happiness in our lives then we need to look at our lives to see if there is any, the Bible talks it about, see if there's any wicked way in me. I think it's David in the Psalms that talks about it. To ask God, Lord, is there sin in my life? And then come to confess it, to acknowledge it, confess it, and to find that happiness that God and only God can truly give us. My prayer is that we will pause and that we will think on these things and learn the lessons that God would have us to learn in our lives. Let's just pray together before the team lead us in another song. Father, we want to thank you for your word. Lord, it is an amazing word from cover to cover, full of instruction. Yes, challenge but also so much encouragement thank you that your word comes to us and Lord I pray that in my life in our lives together we will learn what it is Lord to consider these things but Lord Jesus we want to say thank you above all else for your amazing love for us the fact that you were willing to die for our sin, that we might find forgiveness and find true happiness. Thank you that you are our hiding place in times of trouble. 
We thank you for all that you are and all that you do for us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. For more information about who we are, what we believe and how you can get involved, check out our website www.amblecotechristiancentre.org.uk